0: We've been looking at the book of Ephesians in this series called New Humanity. And a major theme we kept focusing on is that it's vital for us Christians to access who we are as God's new people. And one way to think about it is like this. If you're poor and you marry someone rich, you come to share that wealth with him, right? Well, to be a Christian means to have your identity become permanently tied up to Jesus Christ. You're now in Christ, and Paul says, God has given us in Christ every spiritual blessing. So you have these vast spiritual resources as a Christian, but you have to draw them out and use it in your lives. And one crucial gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit because He's the power behind your new life. He's the one who makes you happier and braver and wiser and more like Christ in every way. And one crucial aspect of that life transformation is what Paul says in 521, is that you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what that means is you become humbler. You consider others more important than yourself, so you're always looking to serve them, always looking for their best interests. Rather than grasping for the top, competing with them, you're going down to serve people. That's from Philippians 2, by the way, and that's what Paul means here. It's to be a humble servant to anyone and everyone around you. Now, last week, we saw how that kind of heart can transform our marriages into something compelling and beautiful. Well, today, let's expand that out. How does a new kind of submission look like in our other relationships? What about our family? What about our work? Well, that's what Paul talks in Ephesians 6, 1 to 9. Let me read that for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So in this passage, Paul talks to the child and the parent, the servant and the master. And in each case, Paul's talking to those who are in authority and those who are under that authority. But notice, Paul applies the principle of submission equally to everyone. Everyone is called to submit and serve each other. Whether you're obeying authority or you're commanding authority, every Christian is called to a new kind of submission, to be a humble servant wherever they are to whoever they are with. So how does that look like in our families and in our work? Well. Let's look at the passage, and let's unpack that, and let's look at it this way. How do you submit to one another? Let's look at it first for those under authority, then for those in authority, then for those under God in Christ. So first, let's look at what it means to submit for those under authority. And if you look at this passage, Paul talks to two groups of people who are under authority here. You have the children, you have the servants. Now, everyone agrees that children submit to their parents, right? At least until up to a certain age. But what's this about bond servants? Is this slavery? Is Paul supporting slavery here? Well, let's step back and talk about that. When we think about slavery, we're thinking about the slavery of 18th and 19th century. But we have to keep in mind there are huge differences between Paul's time and that. First, slavery in Paul's time was not lifetime. Most of the slaves could be free by the age of around 30. So these slaves could look forward to a day of freedom. Second, many people actually sold themselves into slavery to gain job security. Rather than look for work each day, uncertain whether they could find any, they chose to become slaves instead, knowing that they'll be free one day, and many of them actually end up established in some trade and end up richer than their patrons. Third, slavery in Poles' time was not based on race. So just for those three reasons alone, you can see that the slavery in post time is not the same kind of cruel lifetime slavery that we're more familiar with of course it wasn't great but it's not like the cruel lifetime slavery that we're more familiar with when that kind of slavery the uglier kind happened guess who rose to fight and stop it it was the christians and the historical fact is these guys got their convictions out of the bible so listen If you go back to the passage, read it carefully, and you'll see that Paul's not supporting slavery here. He's not even talking about whether slavery is right or wrong. His main concern is practical daily life. How can Christian slaves follow Christ where they are right now? And so Paul's not supporting slavery here, And in fact, this passage speaks directly to our present situation because our question is, how can Christian employees follow Christ serving for their bosses right now, right? So, look at this passage and it's talking about two groups of people who are under authority. There's the children, there's the workers, the employees. And Paul tells both of them to obey the authority where they are, whether it's in the family or in the workplace, obey the authorities, right? But you're no longer just submitting because you have to. Paul goes further than that and he transforms your whole perspective on submission. Paul says, you're no longer just a child, you're a child of the heavenly Father you're no longer just a servant but a servant of the heavenly master so you submit but you submit in a whole new way now now you may ask well how is it a whole new way well it's like this because as people under authority now you have your dignity and your vocation elevated to a heavenly importance now let me explain here's what i mean in paul's time Many people wrote manuals called household codes. So these were guidelines, a manual to guide the head of the household, the father, on how to relate with your spouse, your children, your servants, right? And Paul writes something like that here. But, and everyone will tell you the astonishing thing here, is that Paul also addresses the child and the slave. Other manuals don't do that. Society doesn't do that. Why? Because these people don't matter. They're only properties who are supposed to do what they're told. But Paul talks to them as human beings, as responsible agents. Why? Because even if society treats some people as nobodies, Christians believe that each and every person is highly valued by God, and therefore, there are no small people. Even if you're the lowest in society's ranking, you have just as much dignity as any other CEO or president out there. You are valuable, and your work is valuable. See, in Roman society, slaves who did the lowly tasks They were considered inconsequential, worthless trash. And even today in our culture, if you think about it, we have a pecking order based on what kind of work you do, right? If you're the one in charge, you're the one making decisions, you're in the boardroom, you're doing more important work than the ones sweeping the floor, cleaning the bathroom, collecting the trash. Those are less important work, we think. Well, Paul's talking to slaves who did those kinds of work, the lowly work. And what does Paul tell them? Paul says, you're doing the will of God. You're rendering service to the Lord. And children, you're not just obeying, you're obeying in the Lord. So in other words, Paul's saying, listen, don't think of it any less than this. What you're doing is a service to God, you're doing God's work. You're fulfilling a calling from God. Do you see how that's utterly different from our culture and our society? Society says some people have more important work. If you command the boardroom, you're doing more important work. You're a more important person than the person sweeping the floors and collecting trash. That's why society rejects the idea of submission. Why? Because if you're just submitting, if you're just the ones below, then you're doing less important work. You're a less important person. But what does God say? There are no small people. There is no insignificant work. Therefore, just because you're submitting does not mean you're less. You're doing God's work. You're fulfilling a calling, whether you're just obeying your parents or whether you're just sweeping the floor. What you do matters and you Matter. In fact, God promises generous rewards for both the child and the slave. So you're no longer just submitting because you have to. There's a higher dignity. There's a higher meaning. There's a deeper motivation behind everything you do. And that changes the way you submit. So if you look at the child, how does the child submit to his parents? Paul says, Obey your parents. But what's interesting is, Paul then quotes one of the 10 commandments, which is honor your father and mother. The commandment does not say obey them, it says honor them. Well, what's the significance? The significance is, you're supposed to always honor your parents, no matter what, no matter how old you get. Here's what I mean. When you're a young child, you're supposed to obey your parents. That's the main way you honor your parents is that you recognize that you're dependent on them and you respect their authority so you listen to what they tell you to do, you obey. Now of course, bad parents who tell you to do bad things are supposed to be disobeyed. But the one thing you never stop doing is you always honor them, no matter what. Or again, eventually, children are supposed to grow up into mature, grown-up adults. Instead of relying on your parents to tell you what to do and what decisions to make, you're supposed to become wholly responsible for yourself. You decide for yourself. And when that time comes, you don't have to obey your parents in everything anymore. But the one thing you must continue doing is to honor them. You always honor your parents, no matter what, no matter how old you get. You'd never grow out of the Ten Commandments. And see, the word honor there, it means to show them respect. Now, what that looks like is going to depend on your context in your family in your culture. But the idea is to make your parents feel respected, even if you don't want to. So, that means you show them respect even if you think they have a lot of bad ideas and wrong opinions and different political choices and different ideas about vaccines and whatnot. You show them respect. That means you identify what good you got from them and make sure you honor them for that. You respect them for that. You show gratitude for that. Now, you may say, well, you don't know my parents. You don't know what they're like. How can I respect them? How can I honor people like that? You don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know how they've disappointed me. Well, here's why this is exactly a whole new way of submission. Because what does Paul say? Why do you honor your parents? He says simply because this is right. See, your parents might have done many wrong things but you do the right thing. Your parents might not have honored you. They might might have dishonored you, but you do the honorable thing. Now, how do you do that? You can do that, Christians, because this is a commandment. It's not the commandment of your parents. It's the commandment of your heavenly Father who has done nothing but love you perfectly who has elevated your dignity, who sees you, who values you, who promises you generous rewards for your obedience. Do you see that? That's why you honor your parents, because you want to honor your heavenly father. And that changes the whole dynamics behind your submission. Do you see how? Because even though bad things happen to you, you can do the honorable right thing. You can do that. There's a strength, there's a freedom to do that. You're no longer controlled by what your parents were like. You're no longer chained to these past hurts and disappointments. No, you're strong enough, you're free enough to simply do what is right, to simply do the honorable thing because your heavenly Father has already honored and loved you perfectly. Therefore, you're free. You submit in a whole new way now. And by the way, that same dynamic happens in our workplace. See, what does Paul say to the servants, to the workers? He says, you're no longer doing this for what? For eye service. You're not people pleasers anymore. You're not doing this for men. You're doing this for God. And therefore, you're not controlled by what other people think. They won't be able to mess you up. You're strong enough, you're free enough to simply focus on your work. See that? Once you understand that your heavenly master sees you, he recognizes you, he values you, he values what you do, and he promises you generous rewards. Once you understand that, then what does it matter if other people don't? So what if you're underappreciated? So what if you're not recognized for the work that you're doing? So what? God sees you. He values you. And therefore, you can stay focused on your work and be able to enjoy your work without always comparing yourself with other people, always thinking about your standing at work. No, you can focus and you're deeply motivated. And the irony there is, that makes you the best kind of worker you're always highly motivated, you're always highly focused, no matter what happens. Because you're no longer thinking about them, you're doing this for Christ. And therefore, as one commentator says, there's a conviction that every single piece of work you do has to be good enough to present to God. And therefore, you work with a sincerity, you work with fear and trembling, with that that reverence, that as you work, what you're doing matters because God sees it and you're presenting it for His honor. That's a whole new way of submitting, and that's what makes you into a truly excellent person that any workplace would want. Do you see how that is a new kind of submission for children, for workers? This is how we submit as people under authority. This is how we serve Christ there. Well, secondly, how then do we submit as people who are in authority? Well, Paul talks to two groups of people here who are in authority. There's the father, who are really, who's, who he's really talking to are both parents, and there's the masters. Now, if you're a parent, or if you have people working for you, whether it's in the office, employees, or house help, whatever there may be, here's what we need to keep in mind as people with authority, is that God relativizes our authority. And what I mean by that is, you may be in authority, but you're also a person under authority. Because look, what Paul's saying here is, yeah, you have an authority over your children and over your workers, but it's not absolute. You don't own them. You also answer to God. You may be a father, but you're also a child of the heavenly father. You may be a master, but you're also a servant of the heavenly master. Therefore, think carefully how you're using your authority to the people entrusted to you. Don't abuse, don't misuse it. See, what does Paul say? Fathers, don't provoke your children. Masters, don't threaten. So what Paul's doing is he's warning them not to abuse their authority. He's giving them a warning. So while the child and the slave, they get a promise of reward, these guys, they get a warning. Why? Because they need to remember that they have to give an account to God, that they're also under authority. God's watching over their relationship and they need to remember that in God's eyes there are no small people and there are no bigger people they're all going to get a fair judgment so they may they may get you know preferential treatment here on earth but in heaven there will be no partiality with him and therefore fathers and mothers and masters and employers and bosses we need to think how we are using our authority. Don't abuse, don't misuse, but use it to serve, to protect, to nourish the people who are entrusted to your authority. In other words, people in authority are called to submit by using their authority not for themselves, but for the sake of the people. That's what we're being called to do, and that should change how we utilize the authority that has been entrusted to us. And so look, how does that look inside a family? Well, Paul says to the father and to the mother, on the one hand, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. Don't infuriate them. And Paul's main point here is not to come down too hard on your children by the discipline. You, 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 you come down too hard and over-discipline, and you, you, you use severe discipline that is too harsh. You're no longer doing this for the good of your children. So, that includes examples such as uh, severe discipline or arbitrary rules, being unfair, being unreasonable, nagging them endlessly, or just humiliating them. Paul says, don't do that. Don't abuse your authority. Don't over-discipline. But on the other hand, don't under-discipline. So these examples include uh, always giving in to your kids' demands or being inconsistent or just focusing more on their achievements rather than their character. Paul says, when you under-discipline, that's also wrong. What does Paul say? Don't over-discipline, but don't under discipline you have to what bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord God has given parents an authority but that authority has a responsibility to teach your children to walk with God That's the that's the measurement of how whether you're using your authority rightly and therefore Don't abuse your authority by over-disciplining, but don't neglect your authority by under-disciplining. You have to use your authority rightly, and discipline and instruct them in the Lord. There's a balance there, There's 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 a wisdom behind that. And see, it's not just going over or under, you also have to do both discipline and instruction. It has to be both. You have to discipline and correct, and rebuke your child, but also you have to instruct, and model, and guide your child. It has to be both. And here's what I mean. You know, there are many programs out there that are scared straight programs. You scare them to acting straight, right? So what these programs do is they show these at-risk juveniles. They show them the harsh realities of prison life the scary statistics, the consequences of drug addiction, and they're trying to scare them so that they learn to say no to these things. Now, what's interesting is, studies show that people who go through these programs end up more likely to do the things they're being warned about, not less. Why? Because if you only forbid something, it only makes that thing more attractive. Right? You know that. You've felt that. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans. If you only forbid it, it only makes it more attractive. So that's not enough. There's nothing wrong with warning your children, but it's not enough. You also have to give them an alternative path to take. Teach them to say no to this, but teach them to say yes to something else. You have to give them a far more compelling vision, of walking with God. See, you don't just discipline, you also instruct. And you instruct them by word and by deed, by your life. So you model that for them. You show them what that looks like and you tell them, you teach them what it means to walk with your God. And you have to do it in such a way that it attracts your child to say yes to this. To do it in such a way that your child would want that for themselves. So parents, that's how we use our authorities. And I know that's difficult. I know that requires a lot of hard choices, but that's exactly what you're called to do. You're called to submit yourself to that difficult life and use your authority to serve your children, to nourish, to protect them, to love them, That's how you use your authorities. Well, how about in the work then? How about the bosses, the employers, the masters? How do we use our authority? Paul says, do the same to them. Now, what that means is whatever principles that God gave your workers also equally applies to you. So, just as God calls your workers, to be sincere, to be excellent, to be responsible, so also should you, by the way you manage them, be sincere, be responsible, be excellent. And just as God treats your workers with dignity and values their work, so also should masters and bosses treat them the same way. That means you're not looking to take advantage of them. You're not looking to drain every last bit out of them for profit. You're not looking to keep their salaries as low as possible, but instead you're looking to give them a pay that corresponds to their dignity, that corresponds to the value of their work in God's eyes. Now, of course, you have to do that wisely so that you don't bankrupt yourself, but you're looking to do that. That's what it means to be a boss under the heavenly boss. Your goal is to reflect who your master is in heaven to the people entrusted to your care. So you use your authority and you use your blessings and your privileges to serve them. That's how you submit yourself to them. So here's a whole new way of submission. Children and workers, you're called to submit by obeying your authorities, by honoring them. But those who are masters, those who are parents, those who have authority, they're also called to submit by submitting themselves to using their authorities, not for their sakes, but for the sake of the people entrusted to them. Everyone is called to submit. Every Christian, no matter what station you have in life, is called to submit. Now, I know, The big question is, how do you do that? It's easy to start out that way, but how do you maintain that, especially when things get rough? You know as well as I do that every person is a sinner. Every child is gonna rebel and hurt you and disappoint you, right? Every parent at one point or another is going to make unwise choices. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to be unfair. They're going to be selfish. At one point, every boss is going to be unreasonable and selfish. At one point, every worker is going to be selfish and irresponsible. How then do you continue being a humble servant, especially when it's important to do so? That's why we need to look at number three. How is it do you submit as those under God in Christ? This is our primary identity. This is who we are, and this is why we submit. Remember, what does Paul say? You're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're not just submitting out of nowhere. You're submitting because you revere Christ. In other words, if you're finding it a hard time to submit to this person or that, then the key is to go back to why you're doing it. Why do you revere Christ? Why are you submitting? It's because you revere Christ. Well, why should you revere Christ? Think about that. Remember that. Think that through clearly. Think that through deeply. Why do you revere Christ? Children, you revere Christ because Jesus is the one and only beloved Son who perfectly obeys his father, who perfectly honors his father, and yet he never receives the promise. He doesn't live long in the land. He Things don't go well for him. He died young. He died in a deeply shameful way. He was stripped naked. He was mocked. He was slandered. He was ridiculed. But Jesus scorned the shame. He took it all in because that's what it took to give you your honor despite your sins. That's what it took to restore your dignity despite your shameful life. See, remember that. Think that through clearly until your reverence for him deepens and worship begins. That's what makes you more like Christ. That's what strengthens you and gives you a freedom to want to honor Christ no matter what, no matter how people mess up, no matter whether your parents or your bosses mess up. That's what enables you to do that. And that's what makes you into children who honor your parents no matter what, no matter how old you get. Remember how Christ restores your dignity Because that's what makes you into a person who sees all of life as a place to honor and serve Christ. And that's what makes you into a worker who sees their work as a service to God. It's to give him something. It's to present something for him as an offering. Or again, why do we revere Christ? Parents, bosses, why do we revere Christ? Because Jesus is the one Lord with the ultimate authority, but he doesn't use it to drive us down to the ground. He uses it to lay down his life. Why? So that you and I can be saved from our sins and so that we could learn from him how to use our authorities with love and use it rightly. See, parents, once you understand that your Lord does that for you. Once that sinks in, that's what melts you out of your hardness, out of your selfishness, and you sink into his love. And that's what enables you to become a parent who can strike the difficult balance of over or under discipline. You can strike that balance with wisdom and love. Because even though your child doesn't honor you, he's rebellious, he's hard-headed, even though that happens, you won't over-discipline because your heart is being hardened. Even though your child won't appreciate you, won't love you, won't show you any respect, you won't underdiscipline because you, you're trying to get their approval, because you're insecure. No, your heart is full and secure and loved. And therefore, you have a spacious heart and you can rightly discipline and use your authority to lead them to walk with God. Your children will see that the things that you're teaching and correcting them are coming from a real joy from your heart, a real reverence of your Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, they'll want that for themselves. Or again, masters and bosses, why do you revere Christ? Because he's the Lord who uses authority not to be served, but to serve let him teach you to do the same. That's what makes you into a great boss who's not extracting and draining out their their employees, but you become someone who develops your people, who enables them to do the best work of their lives. You're someone who truly cares and values your people. See, in every case, The strength and the power of a Christian comes from his reverence for Christ. Therefore, remember why you revere. Think that through clearly. Think that through deeply until you worship. Until you learn to submit to one another just as Christ did for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you have loved us with a perfect love. And even though we failed you, you gave us grace. So Lord, we want to honor you. We want to honor you with our lives, with how we submit, with how we work, with how we relate with our family and in our workplace. Father, teach us to do these things so that we may bring you honor. Help us to be wise. Help us to use our authority well. Help us to submit to our authorities with love and wisdom. Father, we do these things out of reverence for your Son who suffered for our sakes. In his name we pray. Amen.